Uh, we're going to be in Daniel 2. Hopefully that comes as no surprise. And we're going to let the story of Daniel 2 speak to us. Uh, so we've got three reading, readings. Uh, that's going to play havoc with the podcast. But um, again, no apologies to that, Johnny. Uh, let's go for the first reading. Uh, Byron is going to read Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Uh, so if we're all there, I think we are. Byron, over to you. Thank you. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants and dream, the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. The decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Thank you, Byron, very much story about a dream. You know, I dream most nights. I dare say you do too. If I were to ask you your latest dream, what was it last night or the night before or a dream this week? Can you remember? Sigmund Freud, the, the philosopher, he wrote extensively about dream theories and their interpretations in the early 1900s. He explained dreams as manifestations of one's deepest desires and anxiety. So the other morning, I woke with a vivid recollection of a dream that I had. Once again, I was playing football. And there I was at my home ground of Carlisle United, Brunton Park, and it was just time for kickoff, and I was ready. And the other team kicked the ball off, and the ball came over my head, and it was a throw-in that I was to take. And all of a sudden, I find a kettle in my hand, ready to take the throw-in onto the pitch. I complain to the referee, this isn't a football, should I carry on? And he says, no. Put it to the side. 
So we go to pick up the football and I've got my mum's chocolate cake in my hand. And I'm ready to throw that onto the pitch. Ref, shall I continue? Yeah, that's all right. Food items are fine. So I threw the chocolate cake in to the player and he volleyed it up pitch and the dream continued. Talk to me later if you want to find out more on that dream. Sigmund Freud. He explained dreams as manifestations of one's deepest desires and or anxieties. I'm not quite sure which category my dream fitted into. You see, in this passage, we're not talking about a daydream. And Martin Luther King, I have a dream, aspiration of a better future. This story is about a dream of the king of Babylon. It comes in the second chapter of Daniel. It's when Daniel and his friends have been taken to Babylon. It's part of the exile of the nation of Israel 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Babylon is the superpower. And here is the strategy. We heard about it last week from Johnny. Here's the strategy of takeover. To capture the young promising men of Israel and educate them the Babylonian way. And so Daniel and his friends are taken to the king's side. Daniel 2, why is this dream captured here? Why is this so crucial? Why is it so important in the story of Daniel? And you know, here's the question whenever we come to the Bible, the one big question. I was taught this early on as I was a, a Christian. When I read the Bible, ask the big question, what does it say about God? It's a good question to ask of Daniel 2. What does this dream say about God? And the whole story we're going to capture in three scenes. Byron has read the first of the three scenes to us. Here's scene one. It's a hopeless situation without God. There's the title of scene one. A hopeless situation without God. Look there, verse one. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Look at the restless king. He had all the power in the world. Commentators say perhaps 30 years old at the time. Second year of reign. Assyria had fallen to Babylon eight years earlier. They were the big superpower. Now Babylon's come on the scene. Already this year, rulers of Damascus, Tyre, Sidon, Jerusalem, they've all submitted to his greater authority. Here is the king of the world. But he's not in charge of sleep. For he's troubled and he's restless. Sleep. Isn't sleep a great leveller? We all need it. The super king of the world needs it. The greatest superstar needs sleep to function. It's like we're robots. It's like God says, well, not too far. Here's the on-off button. 
And at that moment, we've no control on what our brain does. No control. As we sleep. The restless king. He's troubled. But remember the scene, a hopeless situation without God. He summons help. Verse 2, see that? So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And then it becomes serious. There's either great reward or death. There's nothing else. You'll either be cut to pieces. You see that in verse 5. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Or tell me the dream. You will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it. The king, he raises the stakes. This is life or death. He needs help. He's troubled so much. And twice he asks the magicians to tell him the dream and explain it. Kind of the best David Blaine's of the time. Can you tell me the dream and interpret it? And they go to him and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell us. And we'll interpret it. And he says, ah, caught you. Are you trying to buy time? No, no, if you really are the greatest magicians of your time, tell me what I dreamt and then interpret it. I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed and then you interpret it. No, no, tell me what I dreamt and then interpret it for me. And you see then, verse 10, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. Their response is unbelievably true. Who can do this? No one except the gods. And they do not live among humans. Oh, wouldn't it be great to see into the future? Wouldn't it be great if I were able to tell you exactly what you're thinking about now? Perhaps not so great. Because you might be thinking about the week ahead. You might be thinking about football scores. You might be thinking about the great British bake-off. Wouldn't it be great to know the minds of the people that you're speaking to? Who can know that? Not one human. And yet, we still want to know the answers for our future. I remember sitting in a coffee shop And the lady across the table from me, as I put the paper down and started to work as I should have been working, said, oh, have you finished with that? I need to know what my stars are. I need to know what the gods say about life, about my life. 
I need some supernatural intervention into my life. So I handed her the paper. And I thought I'd pick up one today, just to see what my star sign says. Uh, I'm Virgo, so I'm told. Here's what the gods say about my life. Deciding what and who are really your priorities in life is an issue which you are forced to address. I haven't read that right. Deciding what and who are really your priorities in life is an issue which you are forced to address. This is mainly due to the fact that you have spent the last two months ignoring what needed to be sorted out. Luckily for you, the stars line up to give you the strength you need this week to deal with anything and anyone. Ring now for fresh inspiration. That's what the gods say. Well, the stars, that's what they say. And you see what the king is asking of the magicians? You know this kind of stuff, don't you? This kind of stuff. But don't blag me. Don't just read stars that apply to everyone and anyone in this room if we look deeply into it. Tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. Well, it's a hopeless situation without the God of dreams. Isn't it the hopeless situation without the God who flung the stars into space that might be aligning to tell me about my future? It's a helpless situation. Verse 12, this made the king so angry, so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. See, now we see Daniel caught up in it. Whereas last week we saw Daniel and his friends and thought, oh, this is promising. Look what Daniel is doing. He's not conforming to areas where he's being persuaded to conform, yet he's standing tall for his God. He's making a difference in a foreign land. Now the situation looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty helpless. For it is a hopeless situation without God, isn't it? Very recently I was sitting beside the bed of a poorly friend, discussing the aimless and hopeless position without a knowledge of the God of the universe who is in control. Hopeless, aimless, helpless. We've seen two. Here we see an utter dependence on this God. Caroline, read. Can you read verses 17 to 25 for us? Thank you. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zaria. He urged him to for mercy from the God of heaven concerning his mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. 
then they trust the dream of the king. And then up went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once, and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Thanks, Caroline. Look at the contrast. The writer demands that we look at the contrast between the two men involved. We've got King Nebuchadnezzar, ruthless, panicking, calling all sorts of decrees that these men who do not know the dream and the meaning of it would be put to death. Contrast to Daniel. We go from the chaotic to the calm. Have them killed to utter dependence on God and his wisdom. Contrast of a man who has no confidence in a greater power to determine the future to a man who trusts in God for all things. The calmness, he simply asks for more time. And then he and his friends plead to the mercy of God. And then, supposedly, they go to sleep. So calm, so collected, an utter contrast to the king. See, in the night, the mystery is revealed to Daniel. What happens? It turns him to praise. His heart overflows with thankfulness. Look at verse 20. And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. These are the memory verses for Daniel. Here is Daniel. He's suggesting that this is the king who answers dreams. Look at the attributes of God in these verses. Look in verse 20. He has all wisdom. He has all power. He's in charge of the seasons. John and I on Wednesday evening were walking to the office, Christians in Sport office, to say our prayers, to pray together with town church. And we felt autumn in the air. It was a lovely, crisp evening. And we marveled at the sky. And we thought about the God who changes these seasons for if it wasn't him. And autumn doesn't come. It comes because God, he changes times and he changes seasons. Look, he's in charge of kings. He's in charge of world powers, of presidents, of prime ministers. He's in charge of Brexit negotiations. He raises up others to speak into this world. Great news about Tim Keller, a renowned author and Christian speaker. He was able to have a breakfast at Parliament and address over 300 people there and say something of Jesus. For God raises up these people. He gives knowledge and wisdom. He reveals. And it's all in verse 22 because light dwells in him. It causes Daniel 
to thank and praise God. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. He causes Daniel to thank and praise God. Does it cause me to do the same? Does it cause you to do the same? Will you, like Daniel, spend time this week asking God to help you depend on him for all wisdom? Will you, like Daniel, ask him in those moments of conflict at work to give you wisdom, conflict with the boss, conflict perhaps with colleagues? What about in the home? If you're not on speaking terms with close family members, will you ask God to give you all wisdom that turns your anxiety into praise and thankfulness. Not about big decisions you've got to make about life, job, time, money. Will you ask God for wisdom that turns into great praise and thankfulness? There's scene two. An utter contrast to scene one. Here's Daniel, who utterly depends on God for all things, especially wisdom and power. And to scene three, here's the reality of the eternal reign of an eternal king, the reality of the eternal reign of God. Archie, can you read verses 26 to 49? Thank you. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he was asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that have passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, next 
third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, and paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained Actually, thank you. Well read. Uh, let's just take a few moments to, uh, to comment on this. The story speaks for itself. That's why Daniel's such a, a precious book. Look at the beginning as he begins to speak to the king. Look how Daniel points away from himself. Here's every opportunity to match up against the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters of the time and say, King, I've got it. Listen. But look what he says. Verse 27, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Look how Daniel points away from himself. He's absolutely assured, yet not self-assured. There is a God in heaven, says Daniel. This God reveals mysteries. The mystery of the future, the mystery of your dream. The coming reign of a sovereign God. Do you know the little ones are having good fun next door? They're building a statue out of cardboard boxes, about the height of me. Painting them, well, I'm not painting, sorry, wrapping them in gold paper and gold and silver and bronze paper. They're trying to create. Something of what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And when you read his dream, perhaps you think my footballing one isn't so bad after all. Because here's a statue. We've read it. We've heard about it in four different ways in its splendor. We're supposed to be in awe of this. And then it's smashed over. And it disintegrates. And it's blown away like chaff. Time is remembered no more. 
And here we see uh, very briefly, and do you know what this interpretation of Daniel is not meant to be a history lesson for us, but perhaps it shows us the transitions of power over time. For when Babylon finished, the Medes and the Persians came to rule, then ancient Greece, and then we had the rise of Rome. But the climax is here to come. This is the important thing. It's the rock that smashes this statue, this splendor of a statue. The rock that smashes this, that then turns into a mountain. Verse 45, here's the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. This dream is about the rock. For the rock has been mentioned before in Scripture. Genesis 49, verse 24. Listen to this. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. It's about a one who is going to come and save. The theme of the rock is developed in Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rock the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isaiah 8, 14 to 15. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And cast your mind back a couple of weeks ago. The parable of the tenants killing the son of the vineyard owner. Gareth helped us to understand that. Remember of the rock? Luke 20, verse 18 Everyone who falls on that rock will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will be crushed. Do you see what Daniel interprets 600 years before the Lord Jesus came? Do you see what's happened? Ah, now we're post the Lord Jesus. And we can look back and we understand that God has set up through the death of the Lord Jesus, an eternal kingdom over all the earth. See, God tells us that he sets up kings and he takes them down. But in Jesus, we have a ruler. A ruler who will never, ever be dethroned. There will be no successor. His kingdom has no end. Look at verse 45. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Oh, it's true, says Daniel to the king. And you can trust it. How does the king respond? He falls prostrate before Daniel. Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. How do we respond? Do you know what I'm meant to do as I read this? I think I'm meant to be troubled by the idea that I will be crushed against this rock if I don't, in repentance and faith, come before this king. I think I'm meant to ask a question that goes something like this. 
Lanks, what kingdom are you trying to build for yourself here on earth? How are you committed to the false notions that your kingdom and sphere of influence is going to last the test of time? I think this story should make me ask this question. What will I do with Jesus, the rock on whom there is shelter, the cornerstone to build all life upon, purpose, hope, ambition, or the rock that will come down in judgment? What will I do with King Jesus? For Mark 1 verse 15 sums it up. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom, my kingdom, the one on whom I am king. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here's the reality of the eternal reign of God. He brings about his king. It's the Lord Jesus. He's the rock that dethrones every other kingdom. I think I can hear it now. They're smashing it down. That was the idea right at the end. Not only were they going to throw a big cushion shaped like a rock into the statue, but now to trample upon every cardboard box that resembles every other nation's rule. And there's the reality. The Lord Jesus has come. Will I bow the knee and say, Lord, you are mine. And we're going to sing now before we take communion together. We're going to sing, blessed be your name. Because here's the reality, he's king. And he's king over my life. He's king over yours if you trust in Jesus. And when there's a hopeless situation in scene one, like scene one for us in life, will I trust in him? And will I say, blessed be your name? Will, like in scene two, my utter dependence be on God? This, sing, if you, this song, if you can sing it wholeheartedly, speaks of that. I'm totally dependent on him for all things because it points me to the reality of the eternal reign of God. You see, the story of Daniel continues. Daniel and his friends are promoted to places of huge authority and influence. And the next chapter of God's plan, unfolding through God's man, it's there for me to sit up to pay attention to say, where is God in this? What do I understand about Jesus in this story? Well, whose rule and reign will I trust in for all my days? Why don't we stand and sing this song together? Thanks, Chris.